Thank you very much for the privilege of being here tonight. Thank you for being willing to suffer through my story. <laughs> I appreciate that more than I can tell you. And thank you very much, too, for letting me see your eyes. You have no idea what that means to a speaker. Because if I used to be a teacher and sit in the front of a room, and there are 30 little bodies out there, and 28 of them have their eyes cast down at the desk like this. <laughs> You just think, why am I even here? So seeing your eyes and your faces is just music in my heart. Thank you. Um, telling my story, well, I heard someone say, and I really liked it, that telling my drunkalogue is kind of pointless because each of you has a wild and diverse drunkalogue of your own and you don't need to hear my boring drunkalogue. I will tell you just a smidge of it because it has a bearing on some of the amazing things that are happening in my life now. Um, so I'll start with that and get that out of the way. Uh, I was a happy drinker most of the time for about 10 minutes. And then, <laughs> and then I'd get depressed. And I spent years wondering why I was depressed. Couldn't figure it out. Went to psychiatrists, took antidepressants, and I was still so depressed. I needed a glass of wine or 12 to kind of wash it away. <laughs> and it finally dawned on me that the glass of wine or 12 was getting in the way of things. I hadn't been to work in a couple of weeks, and there were days I didn't even get much beyond, oh, the path between the bed and the bathroom and the kitchen. And I thought, Life like can't go on like this forever. But okay, if I have to stop drinking, I'm at least gonna have one good celebration before I do. And are any of you ex winos? Any hands? Move people, please. Uh, you know those big glass bottles of. Gallo wine, the, the cheap, potent stuff. Um, I finished one of those, and I was disappointed because I still felt like me. It was supposed to make me feel better. So I went to the store and got another one and drank a good portion of that. And I have to admit, while I thought about it, or while I was doing it, I did think, you know, Mark, alcohol kills brain cells. And then I know now it was not me. It was my illness talking. You've got plenty of brain cells. You can spare a few. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept drinking. And when it was time to go to bed, I discovered I was having some trouble walking from the couch in the living room into the bedroom. And so I crawled on my hands and knees. 
at the end, in the morning when she gets out, no problem. And I climbed into bed, but I couldn't fall asleep. And I thought, well, I either need more wine, yeah, right, or I'll just stretch out on the living room floor and watch TV. And that's what I did. I fell asleep on the night of the 1st of July. And I woke up the 11th of September in the intensive care unit at St. David's. I had had a doctor's appointment on the 2nd of July, and when I didn't show, and they couldn't raise me by phone, my doctor, not my doctor, his nurse, who had got, become a sweet friend of mine, called the cops and said, would you just do a wellness check, please? Something may be wrong. This isn't like her. Well, the cop broke into my house, and I ended up in St. David's for weeks. I was in a coma from July 2nd to September 11th, and uh, when I came to, it was because something scared me. I thought I heard my father's voice, <laughs> and my dad's voice could always scare me because he, my dad was a wonderful man, good provider, dependable. It's just that our personalities, oh, we bunged heads a lot. And I heard his voice and I thought, oh, I'm gonna be in such trouble. What's dad doing in my house? And then I kind of opened my eyes and thought, this isn't my house. <laughs> and you'd have thought that winding up in the hospital, unable to move, unable to get out of bed, unable to walk, unable to manipulate items like knives, forks, and pencils. It would have dawned on me that that worry about the, the number of brain cells was a little more important than I had thought before. But no. <laughs> and uh, I worked very hard to do everything that they suggested in the hospital, and I did all the doctor's appointments and all that jazz. And I got farmed out to a nursing home. And I discovered that on my $10 that Social Security gave me every month as spending money to buy sodas and snacks, I could also buy two of those big bottles of wine. <laughs> the only thing was I couldn't get back into the nursing home. That's illegal to bring that into the nursing home where there are so many people on such a wide variety of drugs with whom it might very, have very negative interaction. So I just, I, instead of living by the, the spirit of the law, I just got sneakier. I'm a good alcoholic. <laughs> And I got a canvas bag. And then I would go to the grocery store and I would buy the 
box of wine because the big bottles were hard to get rid of. I mean, it's just hard to... You know, they're noticeable in the trash, you know? And, and me making my little stints when nobody was looking out to the dumpster to toss one in, I figured I was bound to get caught sooner or later. So I, I bought the boxes. Now that stuff, even I will admit, that tastes terrible. But it's okay, it still had the effect. And I would stare in the nursing home, and after 10 o'clock at night, I'd fill my little sippy cup with wine and go down to the lounge and watch TV with the aides. The people who worked there. I'd put my feet up just like they did, and I'd sit there and drink wine with them. <laughs> and that was, it wasn't good, but it's kind of laughable as I think back on it. And it worked okay until one night when I really had trouble sleeping, and I guess I ended up drinking till later or earlier then was wise. It was about 4 a.m. when I fell asleep. And when the aide came around at 6 a.m. with meds, apparently the aroma of alcohol on my breath was pretty noticeable. <laughs> and this aide figured, okay, she's a grown-up. She goes out with her friends sometimes. But then he thought, I'm going to go look. And he looked in the sign-in, sign-out book. When you're in the nursing home, if you leave, you have to sign out because they don't want to leave you in the closet or in the bathroom if the place burns down. Um, so he looked, and I had not gone out the night before. And he said, it's been three days since she's gone out. We'd have noticed she was drunk sooner than this if she'd been carrying this alcohol for three days. So he didn't say anything to me, but about 10 o'clock that morning, the director of the nursing home and the chief of nursing walked into my room. And they said, we have some choices for you. Okay. We have an outpatient alcohol class, alcohol awareness class for you to take. And I thought, ah. They said, that's one choice. The other choice is you can go to lunch, and when you come back, everything you own will be on the front steps, and you're not our problem anymore. I'll go to the class. And I swear to God, I remember sitting there thinking, four hours a day, five days a week for a month, in that amount of time, I can figure out a better way to hide my drinking. <laughs> I remember sitting there smiling at the director of the nursing home, thinking that. But I went to this class, and it was a, a couple of days into the class that somebody raised the idea 
that alcoholism was not just a massive character defect, a lack of willpower, a lack of character, a lack of responsibility, a lack of personal integrity. These are my dad's words. Perhaps you can understand why his voice scares me. Um, but rather, alcoholism is an illness. And I thought, well, heck, I've learned to get around in this wheelchair. I can learn to recover from another illness, too. So I thought, I'll, I'll give it, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll pay attention after all. And thank God I did. That was 17 years ago. And on the 9th of this month, I celebrated my 17th anniversary. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure I deserve applause for it because I know each and every one of you has gone through your own complicated and challenging path to arrive at sobriety and stay there. But I just, I think of the things that have happened in my life since I managed to discover that there was indeed life without alcohol. When I first quit drinking, I thought, how could we ever celebrate anything again? I mean, what is Christmas without a glass or two of wine, or five or 12 or 42? <laughs> and uh, I, I remember sitting down, my sponsor had me make a list of things to acknowledge celebration that did not involve alcohol. You know, that took me days. <laughs> I, was, I was, how do you celebrate without a drink? Who can do that? Thank God it got past that. But um, I've learned a lot. I, I've learned that we are much closer connected than we ordinarily recognize. And I owe that knowledge to AA because when I went to one of my earliest meetings, somebody in the meeting room walked up to me and we introduced ourselves and he had a couple of years and I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm still pretty new at this. He said, well, don't worry about it. Our job is to love you until you learn to love yourself. And I looked at him like the man had been smoking something funny. <laughs> because I thought, me love myself? Ugh, never happened. Um, but with the kindness and support and reinforcement and encouragement of the people in AA, that has kind of come to pass. And so many other amazing, wonderful things have come to pass. I discovered that 
I often am my own worst enemy. I can take the most glorious, beautiful, sunny, cloudless, perfect day and turn it into a perfect shitstorm without any help whatsoever. It's one of the things I'm best at. In AA, I kind of learned that, you know, that would be a good character defect to volunteer to give up. <laughs> and life is a lot more fun without it. Uh, just to recognize that all of your smiling faces, I know some of these people, I know some of the people behind the smiles, and I don't know some of you, but I trust AA enough that I know that if I needed assistance in staying sober, that I could ask anybody in here, or you could ask anybody in here, and you'd have the friend you need to help you. And just walking into a room full of people you don't know and knowing before they even know they, they even know your name, they know they're your friend. That is pretty darned amazing. And what a gift, because I don't know about you, I've often walked into my own family get-togethers and looked at them and wondered if I had any friends there. I've known these people all my life or all their life, whichever is longer. And some of them I'm still not sure are friends. But I can walk into these rooms and I know that behind the eyes I see, I have friends out there. And that is just so heartwarming. I hardly know what to do to celebrate beyond the, the standard and everlasting gratitude list and plenty of thank yous to my higher power, my sponsor in AA. And learning these things, learning that living that day with gratitude, living any day with gratitude, no matter what's going on, it turns the appearance of the day around and discovering that my attitude, my approach to a day was a big part of making it a good day. It didn't have to bring the good day to me. It was like I had to hand the day a good start. And then it got one. And they tell us we don't have the control or the power we think we do, but it kind of tickles me to remember that's one bit of power I kind of have. Um, and knowing that I have the ability not only to influence my own day to be better, but I've been given the task and the tools to make other people's days better and to help them make their days better. And that is such a thrill, being able 
Just the things we've learned in this room from this wonderful gang of people and numerous other gangs just like this one to be able to reach out and help people have wonderful, valuable, joyful days. You're, 18 years ago, if anybody had told me that, I would have thought, they've had more to drink than I have. <laughs> and that would have been a tough job, too. <laughs> but uh, it's amazing to discover the things that we learn. And that we learn to trust people who would not ordinarily have been on our list of likely to be trustworthy. <laughs> I, I remember, I started volunteering at the intergroup office, and that has been, I have to put in a brief commercial, that has been <laughs> probably one of the very best parts of my sobriety. I get to go and take a couple of hours a week just to be available in case somebody calls for help. And I get to talk to people from all over the city and do little bits of business and have a blast. So I encourage anybody who's not feeling useful or not feeling needed or feeling a little sorry for themselves that consider a few hours volunteering at that office because it's a wonderful place to get connected, to get the sunshine and spirit poured back into your own spirit from a bunch of other people, and occasionally you'll get the phone call from the drunk who wants to quit, and you get to tell them that X number of years ago, you are right where they are, and you understand, and you know it sucks, but you found a way out. Would they be interested in hearing how you escaped? And when that desolate person gets off the phone and they're laughing with you and planning on going to a meeting and they're not threatening to shoot themselves anymore. You just feel like a 200 watt light bulb. You just glow. <laughs> so, and I don't know too many other places in this life where you get afforded that kind of an opportunity. So I highly recommend Intergroup as a wonderful place, both in what you give and in what you get. Not to mention some incredibly wonderful friends. Um, but we, we get our eyes opened about so many things. I, I ride the bus getting around because I don't see well enough anymore to drive. All these injuries are a result of the alcohol poisoning. Um, but on the bus, at one time, there was a man who kept staring at me. And that made me a pretty uncomfortable. I, I thought, 
I don't... Who is this guy and what is he... Why is he watching me? Because I'm not good at the quick getaways anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I got off to go to the intergroup office, which you all probably know is right down the street from Western Trails, he got off the bus too and I thought, oh crap. Pardon me. Um, I I just I thought, oh no. Am I in, am I potentially in trouble here? But he it was polite. He asked if he could push my wheelchair to where I was going, uh, and I said I'm going to intergroup, and I didn't know if I wanted him to touch my wheelchair. His hair was more than shoulder length and greasy, dirty, and he was skinny as a toothpick. And I, I just, I knew this was one I kind of wanted to keep at a little bit of a, a lot of a distance. <laughs> but I thought, well, he's offered. He's being very polite, Martha. Don't be rude. And I said. I'd be honored if you'd help me to enter group. And he took me over there, and I discovered that he was new in sobriety, and he was on his way down to Western Trails. And I thought, oh, crud, now I have to be polite to him. I can't just brush him off and get rid of him, because I don't want to do anything that would give him an excuse to reject AA. A is not for me. I met this rude chick and she just, no, 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 I'm not going back to AA. I couldn't do that. Well, the upshot of the whole thing is it's my husband now. So it worked out better for me than I thought it was going to And uh, just so many other wonderful things. At first, I had the same arrogance that everybody else does. And I just detested having to take the bus to get around. And then I discovered that bus drivers actually get a lot of guff and not too much in the way of pleasant treatment. And so I thought, all right, Mark, your task is to be very, very nice to each bus driver you encounter. That's your job. (laughs) And it worked because my husband Mike and I were sitting at a uh, bus stop downtown waiting for our bus and a bus driver who runs the route for me to go to church drove by. She looked over and I waved. She pulled the bus up got off the bus, came over, gave me a big hug, then got back on the bus and went out of her way. (laughs) And 
now I, I recognize that if I just get out of my own head and stop worrying about my stuff and start looking at the other people out there and what may be going on with them, what they need, what would make their day better. Well, now getting on the bus, it's like a party on the way to wherever I'm going. The bus driver's friendly, all the other people on the bus are friendly. We have a blast. <laughs> and it's just being in AA and living this program has opened my eyes and my heart and my spirit in ways I never would have anticipated. And it was more than worth losing the ability to walk to gain the things I gained. But the amazing thing in my book is that our higher power can be so to the point restorative because about a year ago I went for my annual checkup and my doctor said would you be willing to go back for some physical therapy there's a new clinic that's open that deals with balance and I said sure I'll go I mean heck what do I do instead I sit at the computer and play games or I watch TV right or, well, pet the cat or sleep. But, so I said, sure, I'll go. And this particular bunch of physical therapists, and wouldn't you know, God knows my resistance way too well, because the physical therapy office is in the same plaza where Intergroup is. I knew where it was. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any excuse not to go to the physical therapist. I was already there for AA. <laughs> So, so I went to physical therapy, and that was about a year ago, and I am learning to walk again. I'm getting back that ability. And I've been rolling around in this chair for 20 years this year. And in therapy today, it just, I swear, if it hadn't been for the two Snickers bars last night, I'd have been done a twinkle-toed little waltz out under the, <laughs> without the wheelchair, without the walker, without, I just, but I can get up and move on my own two feet again, independently. I have a walker in case my stability wavers, which it does but it's so much better than it was a year ago. I have every confidence that's going to get better, too. And if it doesn't, so what? I've met so many wonderful people and made so many terrific friends that I'm way richer than I was a year ago. And there are just so many things are possible in my life as a result of it. the things I've learned, the ideas and the tools I've learned in AA. It, 
stuns me sometimes. And if the price of it were getting around in this little chariot for the rest of my days, that would be okay. It would be cheap. But it turns out that I'm not even assigned that kind of a, a trade-off. I'm, I'm getting more and more gifts. It's like the more you put into the community at large, the more gifts you get delivered. And all you've got to do is open your arms and your eyes and your mind and your heart and accept them. And that's the acceptance that AA talks about. And for me, that's where the serenity and joy materialize as well. And I happen, I don't mean to say this in a way that sounds like I'm bragging. I just mean it as a major part of my gratitude list. I, I am so blessed, so lucky, so fortunate. I have received so many gifts in spite of my own stupidity. How many brain cells could kill enough? Uh, I've received so many gifts anyway that I just think that this program is amazing and wonderful. And I also have to tell you that the people in this program have been amazing and wonderful and supportive and my best cheerleaders and my best friends. And I want to thank you for making my life as much fun as it is. And somebody said your speakers take offer question time at the end. Does anybody have any questions?